You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, always such a blessing to have an opportunity to gather with you all in the presence of God, whether in, in person or online. Hello to everyone online. Uh, in fact, uh, last week, as we continued in our sermon series, This is the Will of God for Us, as we've been discovering what God's will is for us according to the Bible, we learned, if you'll remember, we learned that God's will is for us to do good works, and that furthermore, He accomplishes that will in us by first redeeming us through Christ, and then by His Spirit renewing us into a people that are zealous for good works, which lift up others and ultimately point the world to Him. And, and this is part of that. This is part of that. Gathering together for church and, and maturing as the body of Christ is one of those good works which accomplishes His will. And so again, it's, it's wonderful to be part of this with you all today, knowing that God is working in and through this. It's wonderful. The Apostle Paul confirms this for us in Galatians 6, 9 to 10, when when he writes, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's us, right? So as we, as we continue to meet together and as we use every opportunity to participate in doing good in the world and towards one another like we're doing this morning, we'll eventually see and, and reap a glorious harvest. Uh, doing good works for God is always rewarding and, well, eternally good. But yet, you may have noticed that Paul says something curious in those two verses— He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. And then he says, also, do not give up. And so, those two things, it forces us to ask, if if good works are always rewarding, why would he need to say those things? Why would we ever want to give up doing good? Why, why would we ever grow tired of doing good, right? Be, well, because the truth is that while doing good works is always eternally rewarding, it's not always easy, right? It's not always easy. Picking up our cross and following Jesus is sometimes hard, selfless, and grueling work. Like, for example, carrying someone else's burdens. We're called to do that. Not easy, Right? or being generous, or laying down our needs for someone else's. That takes self-sacrifice. Or, or, in the same, or in the same vein, sometimes the fruit or the harvest of our good works can often take longer to appear than, than we were expecting, right? Which can tempt us to get frustrated or, or to, to grow impatient or to even give up if we start to think all our good works have been for nothing. And the truth as well is that, is that our good works for Christ won't always be met with enthusiasm from the world either. In fact, by aligning ourselves with Jesus Christ, we're, we're automatically setting ourselves at odds with the world. 
And some of us may have even experienced that personally, in that by choosing to follow Christ, maybe you've been disowned or shunned by family and friends. In, in high school, people used to call me a Bible thumper. It's not a dumb thing to call somebody a Bible thumper. I don't know why they thought it was so cool to call me that, but it still hurt my feelings. <laughs> I got to be honest. Oh, that kid's a Bible thumper. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, thank you. But anyway, sometimes there's going to be pushback for our faith. Sometimes our good works will be met or reciprocated with anger or jealousy or persecution or mockery or hate. Even when Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry, right? the Pharisees wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. When, when, he, when he announced that the kingdom of God was at hand and that, and that he was its sole king, they, they reviled him and they did eventually kill him. He suffered in the flesh and, of course, at the cross for our sin. So the greatest good work of all time came through suffering. So it shouldn't surprise us then that, that living for Christ and doing good works in this fallen world might also, at times, involve and even require suffering on our part as well. And that's why, as we continue our sermon series, we'll be discussing how God's will for us is to suffer, if necessary, in doing good works. Not necessarily a topic that we're all excited to address, right? But one that we're going to dive into anyways. That God's will is for us to suffer, if necessary, in doing good works. So, 1 Peter 3, 17 to 18, we're going we're gonna to jump off from there. 1 Peter 3, 17 to 18 says this, it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So unlike the other topics in this series, this particular will of God comes with a caveat or, or an exception, an if, right? Which means that this particular will doesn't apply at all times and in every situation. In, in other words, God's will isn't that we're always supposed to be suffering, right? Because that would suck, right? Amen? But, but rather, we, we can expect that, that in certain circumstances or callings at different times or seasons, we might suffer in this life as we do good works in His name, precisely because it'll be inevitable in this fallen world, and at times, therefore, a necessity in order to accomplish God's purpose. Take Pastor Blair, for example. He has to work for me and with me day in and day out, right? Talk about long-suffering for the kingdom of God, right? I feel sorry for him. Pray for him. But, <laughs> but seriously, though, Many Christians are, are actually often caught guard, and maybe, maybe you've experienced this, they're often ca- caught off guard when they go through periods of suffering or trials because they don't expect it, or they don't see it coming. And this is why it says in 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved, he's talking to the church, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 
Don't be surprised by suffering and trials when they come your way. This isn't something strange, and this isn't necessarily outside of God's will for us. In fact, this verse is purposely written immediately after a descriptive passage about what it looks like to do good works and how to live out our new and sanctified lives for Christ in this world. So the implication here being that if we've been sanctified and conformed into the image of Christ, which we've learned is God's will for us, right? If our faith is alive and active in doing good works led by the Spirit, which we've also learned is God's will for us, then we shouldn't be caught off guard when it gets difficult or painful. We should even expect it. And again, on the flip side, if we don't think Christianity and suffering, especially suffering for righteousness, can, can ever go hand in hand, We're always going to be shocked. We're always going to be questioning God whenever we face hard times. Or maybe we'll be tempted to misinterpret our suffering as maybe like a form of punishment or as if God's abandoned us. But we need to know that that's not the case. Jesus even warned his disciples about this when he said in Matthew 10, 22, he he told them, you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then again, in, in John 15, 18 to 20, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So again, the truth is that as we follow Christ, that yes, our lives will be full of joy and peace and purpose and freedom and power and victory and blessing and all that good stuff, but yes, we'll also face trials for His name as well. 2 Timothy 3.12 agrees. It says, Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Because we're strangers in this world. Right? We're exiles in this world. We learned that as we went through Daniel, right? And as the word says, our, our good works are meant to silence the ignorant and the accusers. Our good works are like heaping burning coals on the heads of our enemies. Our good works bring light into the darkness, revealing sin, and ultimately they point the sinful world to a Savior. And not everyone is going to be happy about that. This is a reality that Christians have faced since the beginning. If you read through Acts, you can, you can see that. And it's the same today as well, since Christians are one of the most persecuted people groups in the world. We don't experience what a lot of Christians in the world are experiencing right now. And so, and so we're being told this, to, to expect this, not to discourage us. We need to know that this isn't to discourage us, but rather so that with the right expectations, we won't be discouraged ashamed or or caught off guard when when adversity comes our way, when when our life in Christ inevitably gets challenging and hard, 
We're being told this so that when suffering and trials come, we, we won't stumble or give up. We won't be afraid to walk into that fiery furnace, right? But rather we'll be able to, 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 to lean on and trust in God in the midst of it so that we can persevere through it and, and, and continue in the good works He's called us and prepared us to do so that we can fight the good fight and eventually reap the harvest, And as a comfort, Jesus told his disciples in, in John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you, that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we will have trouble, but we're never without hope. Right? We will have trouble, but we're never without hope. In, in Christ's victory, no, no amount of suffering can, can deter us from accomplishing what God set before us. And even, and even better, sometimes it's the suffering that helps God's will be accomplished in us. We just learned about Joseph. The kids learned about Joseph, right? He had, he had this big dream. But, but, but how, did, how did God accomplish that dream? Joseph had to go through years of trials and suffering in order to prepare him and get him to the place where, where that dream could be accomplished. So sometimes suffering brings us to that place. And on that end, the, the, the question, right, of, of why we go through trials is one that we always ask. Right? Why am I going through this, God? The answer to that is also one that we've fleshed out a bit during this series about God's will already and also as we, we went through Daniel, right? And, and there are many reasons that we might go through trials. Maybe to test our faith. Maybe to, to sanctify or purify us, right? Maybe to draw us deeper in reliance on God's strength and comfort. Maybe to humble us. Maybe to give us opportunity to, to prove our faith and be a witness to Jesus' name in the world. And also, so that we can learn how to be more empathetic and, and comforting to others who are suffering as well. As we're reminded in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And so as a side note here, let's remember that we're never meant to suffer on our own. Our own experiences, first of all, should give us empathy and compassion to help others. And in the same vein, our own needs should, should bring us to a place of, of humility and courage to ask for help. We need to be open and honest with one another when we're going through something, to ask for prayer, to ask for help. And we need to be willing to be there for each other. But anyways, again, the first and most important thing we have to recognize and grasp when it, when it comes to suffering, as we do good works, isn't necessarily, necessarily the why anyways, right? The truth is that sometimes we'll actually never get to know why we had to go through the thing that we went through. But God knows why. And so what we do know for sure every time is that because Jesus has overcome, because God is faithful, that whenever we face difficulties or, or trials on account of, of doing good works in His name, God will use it for good. 
It's never in vain for those who love him. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so again, if we can understand this, and not just resign ourselves to the fact, but embrace this truth, that, that when we'll, that's when we'll be able to persevere and react accordingly. Just like how if I, if I expect to hit some red lights on the way to work, as I'm driving to work, if I expect to hit some red lights and possibly hit all of them, then I'll react accordingly, right? I'll be sure to leave a little earlier and I won't be annoyed if it happens, right? But if I refuse to accept that and think that, I, that I'm going to hit all the green lights or that I deserve to hit all the green lights or if I leave late hoping that I'll hit all the green lights, what's going to happen? I'm going to be continually surprised and very frustrated at each red light, Right? And in the same way, then, if we change our mindset to expect the possibility that, that persecutions or sufferings will be part of our Christian life, and that we'll inevitably face them as we do the will of God and do good works, that, that we won't be thrown off or, or frustrated when, when we come up against hurdles or people who call us Bible thumpers, right? From this perspective, we can look at it then, not as something strange, but with rejoicing, as, as a blessing, as confirmation of Christ working in us, as, as an opportunity to test our faith and, and trust in God. 1 Peter 4, 12-19 tells us this, and so we're going to read the, that right now. I already read the first verse, we're going to read the whole thing. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice... But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So please note that this, this passage isn't telling us to enjoy suffering. It's not telling us to seek it out, you know, like, like we see in movies sometimes, you know, Catholic priests like whipping themselves. No, that's, that's not what, what it's talking about. We're not masochists, right? Jesus didn't enjoy his suffering. The psalmists, when they speak about it, they didn't enjoy their suffering. Paul, when he was in prison, didn't enjoy his suffering, but rather we rejoice in what the suffering means, what it accomplishes, and because of who it glorifies. And so as Christians, Peter, Peter's saying that, that our suffering isn't evidence of a, of a lack of faith or even a justifiable reason to question God, but quite the opposite. It's actually evidence of Christ in us. 
that the more like Jesus we become, then the more, we'll, then the, more the world will treat us like they treated him. And being treated like Jesus in this way is, is, is evidence and assurance for us that, that he's truly living in us and being exemplified in us. In this regard, then, C.S. Lewis famously writes, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1.29, he says, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ you, that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. It, it has been granted to us to suffer. Not what we'd usually describe as an ideal gift, right? Oh, what did you get me? You know, open the bag. Oh, suffering. Thanks, right? That's been given to us. But, but I think it's a lot like how Maybe a mother is, is, is given a, the gift of a newborn child, right? From what I've heard, the labor and, of course, the delivery can be grueling and painful work. Amen, mothers? Yeah? Um, I, I don't know. That's what I've heard. And then, and then, but, but I know that raising a child, right, that takes sacrifice. That takes selflessness. That takes little sleep, right? And, and the list goes on. It's hard work, but yet no good mother would say it isn't worth it, right? In the same way we've been granted to live for Christ, it's been granted to us to partner with Him in proclaiming His kingdom, in being lights in the darkness, in being conduits of the the presence of God and contenders for renewal in this world, and it's worth it no matter what we have to sacrifice or lay down. And, and the culture we live in certainly can't grasp this, this concept that, that, that suffering could be a good thing, right? We're so steeped in hedonism, which is believing that the ultimate purpose in life is personal pleasure and, and happiness, party till we die, right? That, so, that, so anything that would take us away from that or, or ruin, ruin our pleasure or our happiness, and anything like that is considered sinful and evil in our culture, but, but Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 10 to 11, that it's a blessing. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So to join Christ in, in his suffering is to know that we're also living in his blessing. We're walking in His victory. We're walking in His will. We're, we're, and we're living in dependence in His grace and mercy, which as He reminded Paul, who, who prayed for the thorns in His side to be removed, is enough. His grace is enough. It's sufficient for us in our weakness. However, and, and this next part is, is important, Because we're also reminded in, in the previous passage that I read through 1 Peter 4 there that not all suffering is necessarily good. We can't get confused here. Not all suffering is a cause to, to boast in or, or rejoice in. 
Not all suffering is a confirmation of our faith. In fact, we're told that if, that if our suffering is, is a result of our sinful actions, you know, even if they're spo- supposedly done, quote-unquote, in the name of God, then, then we'll be rightly brought to shame in both the world and in the judgment of God. For example, if you're, if you're being reviled or, or shunned by others because you were being a judgmental jerk, well, that's on you, Right? or because you're quick to anger, or, or because you're spreading hate, or because you're a murderer or a thief, or someone who's meddling in someone else's business, then, then that's on you, right? The suffering or consequence you receive because of doing those things isn't confirmation of your faith, but rather your lack of it. And so we're, we're not trying, so, so we shouldn't boast in, in, in suffering just for suffering's sake, Right? We're reminded that not all suffering is useful and that not all those who suffer are living out the will of God. But in contrast to that, if, if we're living out the gospel, if we're living for Jesus and, and loving one another and glorifying God in our good works, and then suffering or reviling comes our way as a result of doing these things, then that's when we can have confidence that God's working in and through us. In fact, facing trials and, and, and situations that are too big for us to handle often force us to lean on God because they're never too big for Him to handle, right? And so they remind us that, that He's with us and that we need His mercy to, to comfort and, and strengthen us and work out His will through it. In fact, that's why I think we need trials sometimes because it's always in the midst of them when we're reminded that, that God doesn't always work the way we expect or want Him to. And that's actually a freeing truth. That's actually a freeing truth, because if we get that, then, then we can stop trying to control the narrative and let God be God. We, we can let His will be done, no, no matter how long it, t- it takes or what it takes. He's the one who's perfect anyway. He's faithful. He's our Creator who knows what's best. He knows what we need. He knows, he knows how to turn all things for good. And for those who love him and trust him, he will. The Psalms of Lament are, are great examples of this. If you read through them, they, they, they often start out proclaiming to God their, their confusion. Right? They're, they're wondering why and how long they have to go through their plight. They're wondering why their, their enemies are being so successful. They're, they're wondering why their faithfulness and, and good works for God are being met with, with suffering, which is fine. And, 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 and we can lament like that to God too. God can take it. He wants us to bring, bring our anxieties to Him, right? And our questions. But the amazing thing about these psalms is that, is that when we keep reading them, even without receiving an answer from God, the same psalm will continue. And all of a sudden, it'll switch gears. And it'll start proclaiming God's character. It'll start proclaiming God's faithfulness and His goodness and His justness and His righteousness and His promises. Because even while they, they don't understand their trials or, or, or the purpose of their trials, what they do know is that God is God. And that He's their hope. And he's their peace beyond understanding. And that he is sovereign through it. So their faith isn't in knowing why or how or when, but simply in knowing God. And if we live with that perspective as we go about living for Christ and doing good works, if we live with our souls entrusted to God, then I guarantee you that that our suffering in his name will have no chance of either surprising us 
or defeating us. Instead, we'll overcome and we'll persevere by the strength of God and for His glory every time. Our cry in the midst of trials will echo that of Paul's in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10, when he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And so if any of you are, are, are suffering or are going through trials right now because of your faith, or if you're, if, if you're being obedient to God and good works, but you're not yet seeing the fruit and you're only receiving backlash or frustrations, know that nothing strange is happening to you. You're not being punished. Your faith isn't too weak. You're not praying wrong. You, you haven't been forsaken. And even though it might feel like it, you won't be destroyed. Because God is with you. Jesus' grace is covering you, and His Spirit is strengthening you. So entrust your soul to Him. His presence, His joy, His grace is our strength. Your good works are not in vain. And again, whatever we have to go through to accomplish them isn't in vain either. It's worth it. It's a blessing to live for Christ no matter what we have to face. So keep pressing on. Because for those who endure, even through the trials and frustrations and whatever else, will reap the harvest. For this is the will of God that, that you suffer, if necessary, in doing good works. As we prepare our hearts to, to respond by receiving the Lord's Supper, I want to note that in all of this and all of what I've just been talking about, we find our perfect example in Jesus, right? Who completely entrusted his soul and every work he did to God, even to the point of death on the cross. And before he died, remember Jesus proclaimed to God, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And then right before he died on the cross, he cried out, unto you I commit my spirit. And so again, if we're called to be like Jesus... First of all, it should come as no surprise that trials and suffering in His name will be a part of it. But secondly, in order to persevere in good works and through all that, like Jesus, we need to entrust our souls to God and to His will. But of course, not only is, is Jesus our example in this regard, but he's, he's also the reason we can even have hope and trust in God at all. Because again, His suffering, unlike any of ours, truly defeated the power of sin and death so that through faith in His name, we can set, be set free from our sin and be reconciled with God. So we can be His people and receive His blessing so that, that we can have hope that one day all suffering will end for good. 1 Peter 2, 23-25 says this about Jesus. It says, When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. At the cross, he took on our shame so that we can be shameless. He defeated our sins so that we can be made righteous. He defeated our death and rose from the grave so that we can live victoriously and eternally. He overcame the ultimate suffering so that we can overcome as well. Or as Timothy Keller writes, Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took that so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great 